0: You're listening to audio from The Village Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or give to our ministry, please visit us at thevillagechurch.net.
1: Good morning, church. My name is Chloe Mathai, and I serve here in Kids Village. Hey. Um, today I'm be reading from Luke 10, 25 through 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, Then he sent him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave him and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, "Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back." Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, "The one who showed him mercy." And Jesus said to him, "You go and do likewise." This is the word of the Lord.
2: (laughs) Thanks, Chloe. Hey, good morning. Good morning Kevin. All right, it's good to see you. It's been a little bit, it's been a little while. It's good to be back up front with you guys. I had somebody ask if I haven't met you yet, because it has been a little bit. My name is Trevor Joy. I'm one of the pastors and elders here. Somebody asked me like last week and the weekend before, like, "Hey, where have you been?" And I'm like, "Well, I've been here. I just haven't been preaching a bunch, but I've been here. I've been a lot of places." I will say this: this year so far, I've gotten to go to Africa, Middle East, and India. And to see the things that God is doing throughout the world that this church is right smack dab in the middle of has really, really been fun and beautiful. So I'm excited for you to see, hear more and more about that Uh, and hopefully go and come with me. We can hang out in some really fun places and see God do some really incredible things. Um, Well, hey, if you're just joining us, we've been in a series this fall on the parables. Uh, Last weekend, Mason did an amazing job, Uh, Nick, the weekend before him, uh, and the, you know, the next several weeks are just going to be really, really fun. We do have such a, a great group of teachers here. It's, it really is an embarrassment of riches. But as we're going to continue in our series on the parables today, I wanted to start today a little bit differently, if you'll allow me. And you kind of have to because I have the microphone. Um, but here's how I want to start today a little differently. Uh, I want to start today with a, a word of testimony. And so I'm going to invite two of my friends, and uh, Katie and Karen, to come out. They also help lead our prayer team here, our prayer ministry. And here's what I, my hope is for today, uh, and how I want to begin, is so often when we step into our services, and this is, this is a great thing, but most, more often than not, our, our Sundays go like this. We come, and we worship, and we send out the word, we hear a teaching, and then we worship some more, and then we go, uh, which, is, which are all really, really great things. But what I wanted to do today, and just a little bit different, is to have, have Katie and Karen just share. Uh, just testify to how God has moved in and through them as they've taken steps of simple obedience to some of the things the Word's going to press on this morning. And so they're just going to share real simply what God has been doing in and through them. And the way, and here's my real hope of that, is that it just kind of stokes the engine of our faith, stirs us up as we step into what God has for us in the Word this morning. So thank you guys so much for coming. Be willing to come and share.
3: Good morning, church. My name is Katie Schneider, and this is my best friend and prayer partner, Karen Green. Karen and her husband, Andy, have been um, members at TVC for 12 years, and my husband, Jonathan, and I have been members for six years. I've been a believer for over 30 years, and for much of my life, I've been too intimidated to tell others about Jesus. Desiring to get in the game, so to speak, I started asking God to make me bold for him, I'm slowly learning to hear his voice. And as I've asked him for boldness, I felt like he's been saying, you don't need to be bold. You just need to be obedient. As I've walked this road with him, I've learned that all I must do is follow that prompting when I'm taking a walk or I'm in the grocery store or going about my day and the Lord nudges me to pray for someone. I don't have to say it perfectly. I simply need to have my eyes and ears open and a heart ready to love people how the Lord wants to love them. I bring the obedience, and he brings the fruit. An example of this is when we had some men come to our home to replace some windows. I felt prompted to ask them if they know Jesus and if I could pray for them. So I did. I stepped out of my comfort zone, and with the power of the Holy Spirit, I prayed boldly. What resulted is so much more than I could have come up with on my own. We've had their sweet family over several times for meals and have spent time getting to know them. I've gotten the joy of seeing him grow in faith and his wife, who is Muslim, come to know and follow Jesus. In fact, we still walk with this, amen. We still walk with this precious family today. It's so much fun and it's so life-giving. And when we do this, it changes us.
0: Yes, it is so much fun and so life-giving. It truly does change us. As we began stepping in obedience to pray for people as we go, I would talk to my 10th grade class about how exciting it was to do this. They were inspired and asked one day if they could join me to practice it themselves. They too wanted to walk in obedience. We decided to meet as a class at Corner Bakery to get out of ourselves and get out of our fear. When our food was delivered by a gentleman, one of the students went ahead and asked how he could pray for him. His response was, for health of the world. That would have been an easy place to stop and simply pray for health of the world, but the Lord had other plans. He wanted to teach us the importance of asking one more question. So that's what I did. Based on this gentleman's response, I felt the nudge to ask one more question. This time, his response surprised us. He said, the answer is personal and would take time, and then proceeded to ask us if we had that time. I was like, yes, that's what we're here for. So he pulled up a chair and 30 minutes later, we all got to pray into what the Lord really wanted to do in his life. After that, his family came to our home for dinner and we will—we were able to minister to him and his unbelieving wife. I'm going to go off script for a second, if you don't mind. Um, a couple years ago, when we started doing this, it was scary. Um, at the same time, we knew that the Lord was just asking us to walk in obedience. So I walked into Kroger and I got a couple things, and. I wanted to go through the self-checkout line. Anybody like to go through the self-checkout line? Um, and I felt the Lord nudge me and say, "No, you need to go through a line." And I thought, okay, so I went through the line and I asked the young lady that was checking my me out. I said, "I'm a follower of Jesus. My God answers prayers. Can I pray for you?" And she said, "Yes." And so I prayed for her, and we exchanged numbers and then she ran from me for a while, and then she stopped running, and we did life together for about a year. We lost touch, or we just kind of drifted away, and that was about six months ago, and she walked in here today. She's sitting in here right now. Yes. And she said to me, she says, Karen, my friend and I were talking just the other day and said, If you hadn't come in, I wonder where my life would have been. So the Lord is speaking. He's calling us into the game as we go. We have a choice to ignore the promptings of the Holy Spirit, or we can listen, we can obey, and we can ask one more question, which will not only lead to profound joy in us, it'll also push back darkness, and we get to see lives restored and people come to salvation in Christ. This is what we were created to do, and we're praying that you will join us in the game.
2: Amen. Amen. Hey, y'all give it a hand. Thank y'all so much. Thank y'all so much. Man, that's awesome. I feel like you just stop right there. Amen? Yeah. Man, as I was, uh, I've been kind of in a month of reflection, because my staff anniversary is this past month, and I've realized I've been on staff here for 14 years at this point. And... Uh, yeah, 14, yeah, it's like dog years dude. It's great. But before I was on staff here, I was on staff at one of our church plants in, uh, in Frisco called Providence Church. And at that time, is when TVC was just starting our first campus up in Denton. And as they were getting that, that building ready for services, uh, it was an older church they'd taken on and had pews in it. And so they were realizing, man, seat efficiency like pews, you can't seat as many people as you can if you have chairs. And so uh, they were renovating the sanctuary and getting rid of the pews. Well, at that time... Uh, we had just renovated an old bar called the Broken Spoke Saloon over there in Frisco. And we wanted it to look less like a bar and more like a church. So they were trying to get rid of the pews and put it in chairs. We were trying to get rid of the chairs and put it in pews. Uh, and so we called TBC, and it was our sending church. We called TBC at the time. We said, hey, I know you guys are getting rid of those pews. Don't know what you're doing with them, but can we have some of them? And of course they said yes. And so I got the worship pastor and I, we were going to U Haul because we were the only guys on staff. So, you know, the church plant. I said, that we rented a U-Haul. We drove up to Denton uh, to get those pews. They said, hey, you got to come get them. So we pulled into the, uh, the Denton campus parking lot in the back. And by the back, they said, hey, pull in by the back door, and we'll load them in there for you. So we pull in. There's a port back there. And, and so we drive up to that back door, pull underneath that awning. And right as we do, we start to hear this absolutely awful noise. And so I stop, and I put the truck in park. And, and Paul and I kind look at each other. I was like, what was that? That was awful. And we got out. And saw that, unbeknownst to us, the U Haul truck that we had rented had a higher height than the porticochet awning did. And so, what that noise was, was us getting that truck jammed into the port-a-couché. <laughs> I Every new hire lunch, I always share the story just to demonstrate to our new staff that this is a safe place to fail. It's okay. <laughs> I'm still here. <laughs> so, Paul and I, he was a buddy of mine, he's pastor of another church now. We were together last month. And we were talking about that, how we just looked at each other. And we, I mean, we, we deliberated. I think Craig had come out at that time. We looked at that situation for a long time to come out with some creative solution to get this truck unstuck from this port cachet. You can imagine the number of scenarios that we were trying to, trying to come about. But after a long time of deliberation, we decided really the only option was for me to get in the truck, put it in reverse, punch the gas, and hope for the best. <laughs> So I did, and one large insurance claim later, they had a new, much needed, remodeled port-a-cachet. They didn't put my name on it, but everybody, if you know, you know, that's my port-a-cachet. <laughs> oh man. And I share that story, not because, you know, I'm just to not be afraid of failure. But as I looked at this parable we're diving in today, it really is confrontational. It I think it has the potential to be really disruptive. Uh, even maybe even offensive I'm not going to try to be but I think it has the potential to be and I've been personally challenged in my own life this week where I feel like I've grown complacent in some of the areas that this text is going to push on and I've looked at it over and over again in every which way I can to see is there is there a way to do this to teach this, to present this is there a creative solution that's going to help this be less that way But after much prayer and deliberation, I think I'm just going to have to get in and punch the gas and trust the Spirit of God's going to meet us there and continue to conform us all in the image of Christ. So if you're in, I'm in. Amen? Amen. Okay. All right. I have your permission, so let's go. Um, Well, the way I really kind of introduction, the way I kind of want to open up, Uh, the theme of what we're gonna be talking to was really given to me by one of our main mission partners that was in town. So we partnered with a a group called Lifeway Mission when I had said we had been in Kenya. Uh, That's who we were there with. So they're in Nairobi, Kenya. They're a group that's focused on church planting movements, seeing church planting movements happen among the 300 different unreached people groups in Eastern Africa. Uh, so we've sent 4 team, short-term teams of TVC members to Kenya there already so far this year. One of the teams was a medical missions team, was out with church planters out in the villages, just being the hand and feet of Jesus, doing mercy ministry, hoping to meet peace, persons of peace and establish works in those new villages. The three other trips were, uh, were actually business trips. So we sent TBC members there for the purpose of equipping the national partners there in the basics and fundamentals of business and help them actually form business plans that will support their work of planting among the unreached. And here's what's really incredible. On our third trip last uh, spring in April, our last trip, you, TBC, funded 18 new businesses in East Africa to support the work of reaching the unreached. 18 new businesses. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. That's where the that's round of applause in fact, Brian, our Director of Global Missions, just got back, he was just in Kenya, and he said he was able to travel to about half of the, the businesses that we were able to see started last spring, and he said, they're doing great. And so just shameless plug, if this pings you in a way where you're like, man, that is something I'd love to be a part of, to use my business experience and time, and here's the deal, I helped out. And so if I can help out in talking about business and helping foreign form business plans, they have great resources around it, I promise you, you will be a champion at it. Uh, So if that does, if that pings your interest, man, the team's going to be out in the foyer. They'd love to hear from you. We've got a bunch of new trips coming. And we have currently right now 500 uh, planters that we want to come alongside and train and fund and start businesses with. And so you can help us at this rate. At 18 at a time, it's going to take us a long time. So we need more folks to go with us and help us do this work. But back to kind of my point of, of the introduction. So we recently had the leader of that organization uh, come and speak to our staff. He was in town, so he said, hey, we want, we want our staff to meet you and hear from you. Uh, and he will at some point come and share his story with you. But to give you a little background, he's a Muslim, he has a Muslim background believer that's been leading this ministry for over 20 years. And in that 20 years, they've seen over a million people come to faith through the disciples they've made in the churches they've planted. Yeah, that's incredible. And you heard me right, it's a million. And so our staff had a, chair, a chance to hear a story and ask them some questions. And as you'd expect, one of the questions came from the staff about how they go about the training and ongoing theological development of their disciples and church planters as this thing has grown. And then what he shared next is what I really believe to be a word that we need to hear in the right here and now in Flyer Man America in 2022. He began to talk about the relationship in the New Testament between knowledge and obedience. And he quoted the Great Commission, how we're to go and make disciples, baptize them, and teach them to obey all that he's commanded. And he observed how we in the West tend to put a greater emphasis on the teach in that command and less of the emphasis on the obey. And he said, for them, they gauge on how a disciple is growing by what they're actually obeying then he said a beautiful introduction statement to to what we're going to be studying together this morning. He said, sometimes I think we can be so concerned with learning more and more. Maybe we not need to worry about learning more until we start obeying what we already know. Yeah. That's the way I felt when I heard that. If you missed it, I'll say it again. Maybe we don't need to worry about learning more until we start obeying what we already know. Yeah. And why I think that's a word for us in the here and now is that the Western Church has never been more resourced in the entire history of the church's existence than it is right now. Christian publishing alone is a one point two billion dollar industry. Christians buy more Christian books than the average reader does non Christian books. In just a brief search, I was able to see there's forty two Christian churches within a five mile radius of where we are right now. What does all that mean? It means we have more resources, more studies, classes, teachings, and services either in person or digitally at your fingertips than anyone else has had in the entire history of the church and more than anyone else has right now throughout the rest of the world. We're more resourced than most of the world. We're more trained than most of the world. We congregate more than most of the rest of the world. Yet in the West, we're one of the only places in the whole world that the church is shrinking, not growing. Why is that? One of the most humbling things that I've experienced traveling to the mission field is the countless men and women I've met who have been following Jesus less in a less amount of time than I have and know less about the Bible than I do, but have led more people into the kingdom in their short time than I have in my decades of ministry. So many times I would get on a plane to come back and I would say, man, I will trade every degree I have on the wall for that kind of kingdom fruit in my life. And that's just honest. But don't you dare hear what I'm not saying. I am not villainizing resources. They are an absolute grace and a blessing, and are used by God in amazing ways uh, to advance the kingdom every day. What I am saying is that our challenge is not a lack of access to those resources. It's not a lack of access to teaching. We've never had more access to resources and teaching in the history of Christian faith than we have right now. Our challenge isn't in teaching and learning, it's in obeying and embodying. And I think Dr. Allen's words hold true for us today and rings true in the parable we're gonna spend time in this morning that maybe we ought not to spend so much time being concerned with learning more until we start obeying what we already know. Okay, I punched the gas. Is everybody okay? Yes. We good? Okay, all right. So we're gonna be in the parable of the Good Samaritan today. Long way to get there. But I chose, this, I chose this parable because I really believe the Lord hasn't just been inviting us corporately as the Village Church into a new season of Kingdom Fruit. I really do believe that God has been inviting each one of us as followers of Jesus into lives of eternal impact. And we have the opportunity this month especially to just further close that gap between what we say we believe and how we actually live our lives. And here's what I do know after spending 14 years ministering among one this church family, I know that you want this. I know that you want this. So I'm excited to dig in uh, together. Before we get to the parable, there's a, uh, there's a kind of a principle, a statement used in real estate um, that's uh, location, location, location that's uh, kind of key to success well there's it's similar to studying the bible Uh, the statements, context, context, context. And that's especially true here because the the parable of the Good Samaritan is towards the end of the chapter of Luke 10. But if we just jump there, then we miss a lot of the really amazing context that's going on in it that's leading up to this conversation. So if you'll allow me, which again you have to because I have the microphone, we're gonna go to Luke chapter 10 and we're gonna start in verse one and we're gonna work our way through it. And here we're not gonna spend a ton of time here. We're gonna fly through it. But again, my whole purpose there, and we're gonna camp in the parable of the Good Samaritan, but my whole purpose here is I just want you to have the context of what's going on on leading up to this conversation, because I really do think it helps enhance and clarify the conversation that's about to happen. So starting in verse one, it says this, after, the, uh, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, in every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs amidst wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is not there, your peace will rest upon, is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the labor deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, Even the dust of your town clings to the feet uh, we wipe off against you. uh, Nevertheless, know this the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. So, what's happening here? Jesus has just spoken on the cost of following him. And then he he appoints the 72 and he sends them out to do ministry. And he doesn't say, Hey, go kind of dip your toe in and see what happens. He says, You're going to go out among sheep, among wolves. This is serious. But he says, you're going to go out in power. And then a few verses later, the 72, they come back and they report on what's happened. We'll pick it up in verse 17. It says, the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. I did think when reading this that that last little line would have been helpful like right before they went out verses, but nevertheless, the promise is there. He said, nothing shall hurt you. He's in verse 20, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So they come back, and what do they say? Jesus, you were right. Even the demons were subject to us in your name. We were walking in power, and what does Jesus do? He reminds them, man, that power, that's awesome. But remember, that power didn't come from you. the spirit of God in you. So that that interaction is what's happening. And then we have this scene where this Jewish lawyer stands up and addresses Jesus. We'll pick it up in the parable of the Good Samaritan. It says, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, to put Jesus to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, Jesus said to the lawyer, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. And then Jesus asked, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, You go and do likewise. So this whole scene is kicked off with a lawyer trying to trap Jesus by asking, What does he need to do to be saved? The same question we see the rich young ruler trying to provoke Jesus with. And Jesus responds to this question with another question. He looks at the lawyer and says, what does the law say? And that's important because when the Bible calls this man a lawyer, don't think of the lawyer like in our current day, somebody whose job is to interpret civil law. This is a Jewish lawyer. His job is to interpret Mosaic law. So when Jesus asks that lawyer that question, he, him being a Jew and a lawyer should know the answer to that, and he does. He responds with what the law says. The law says to love God with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So, so far, they're both tracking together. But here's where the interaction takes a pivot. The lawyer then asks Jesus another question. He says, well, who then is my neighbor? And the heart of this passage, and the truth I believe we need to hear this morning, lies between this question and Jesus' answer. How does Jesus respond to that question? He responds with this parable. Now, this is a more unique parable in that it's more direct than most. It's what I call a get-to-the-point parable. I really like it. The, the, the meaning isn't h- hidden so many layers deep. It's really upfront and obvious. Now, there's a lot of aspects about this parable that I think you can, can dissect and learn from. But the main point is intended to be straightforward and easy to pick up on. So let me break it down for you uh, as, as we kind of read through it. So there's four characters in this parable. There's the Jewish victim that lies on the ground. There's the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, the three people that walk by him. The Jewish man was walking from Jerusalem to Jericho. That's about a 17-mile commute. Uh, really common. Yeah, 17 miles. They walked back then. 17-mile commute between the two cities. Now, it was a really normal commute, but it was also uh, going downhill most of the way, pretty rocky and treacherous, uh, as you kind of, if you've never seen that landscape, as you're kind of getting down there. What that does also mean is it makes it pretty easy for, for thieves and robbers to kind of hide amidst the rocks and jump out and surprise people. And, uh, and that's what happened here. As he's lying there, or he gets attacked, beaten, robbed, and left for dead, and as he's lying there, a priest walks by. And again, this is a commonly used path between cities. And the priest, based on what we know he believes, is obligated that if the man is dead, to stop and make sure the man gets a proper burial. And if the man is alive, the priest is supposed to overlook whatever else he has that day to ensure the man survives. But what does he do? He walks right by the victim on the ground and does nothing. Then next, we have a Levite. And the Levite, which is basically a priest's assistant, same MO here, same issue here, and what does he do? He keeps walking. Lastly, a Samaritan walks by, but he sees the man and he engages him. And Jesus uses a Samaritan here because there's not another more unlikely person to stop and help a Jewish person than a Samaritan. And we actually, it's really hard for us to kind of gain the context and understand the hatred between these two groups of people because we really just don't, as Westerners, we just don't really have... Uh, a similar situation. But to give an example, Jews would use the name Samaritan to mock or insult other Jews. That is, that's the depth of hatred that these two groups had with one another. So the Samaritan, as you can imagine, had zero obligation to stop and help this person. And he's actually putting himself in danger by doing so. But what does it do? It says the Samaritan cares for the man's wounds, puts him on his own animal, meaning he's going to walk the rest of the way, And he takes him to an inn where he makes sure the guy is going to survive. He then gives the innkeeper money and says, hey, I've got to go. But whatever this guy needs to leave here healthy, just put that on my tab. So that's what, those are the three interactions we have with the victim. And then Jesus turns back to the lawyer and he asks him, he says, who is the neighbor in that story? And the lawyer gives the obvious answer because that's what the story is intended to do, provide a very clear answer. And he says, the man who showed him mercy was the neighbor. And what does Jesus say? Go and do likewise. Jesus is intentionally trying to stop at the basic lesson here. Those that love God look like that third guy, so be that. It's simple. Because the parable of the Good Samaritan isn't about helping people in need, it's about how the love of God reorients not only what we believe about the world, but how we actually live and participate in it. The person who Jesus says to emulate here is the person who had the least amount of knowledge, but the most mercy. What must I do to be saved is a question posed here in the beginning. And Jesus says, well, somebody who's saved acts like that Samaritan. And he isn't responding saying, do that and then you'll be saved. But he's saying, if you're saved, those are the kinds of things that you'll do. Dietrich Bonhoeffer commented on this parable. He says this, the question, what shall I do? Was the lawyer's first attempt to throw dust in his own eyes. The answer was, you know the commandments, do you not? Well, then put them into practice. You must not ask questions, get on with the job. And the final question, who is my neighbor, is the parting shot of despair or of self-confidence. The lawyer is trying to justify his disobedience. The answer is, you are the neighbor. Go along and try to be obedient by loving others. Neighborliness is not a quality in other people. It is simply their claim on ourselves. Every moment and every situation challenges, challenges us into action and obedience. Perhaps this shocks you. Perhaps you still think you ought to think out beforehand and know what you ought to do. To that, there's only one answer. You can only know and think about it by actually doing it. You can only learn what obedience is by obeying. The priest and the Levite knew what needed to be done. They read all the books, they studied it at length, they had the knowledge, but that knowledge stayed in their head and didn't work its way to their heart. And how do we know that? The fruit of their hands. That's what's evidence of what makes it to our hearts. Another way of saying that is this, what we actually do, evidences whether or not our hearts have been transformed or just informed. What we do... Is evidence of whether or not our hearts have been transformed or just informed. So I have one concluding point and then one challenge for you. My first concluding point is this, or my only concluding point is this. I agree with the statement that Dr. Allen made to our staff. I don't think you can separate knowledge from obedience. In fact, I think it's really important that we don't. Jesus is saying here, what you believe will be evident by what you do. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? Maybe like you know a tree by its fruit. And hear me, I'm not trying to guilt. Uh, community service hours out of us. That's not the point of this. What I am saying is that too many of us look like the priest and Levite. We have every reason to engage, but we keep walking. I am trying to wake us up to the reality that there's a battle going on and we need to start paying attention. There's a real darkness, a real enemy, real brokenness, real despair, real need, and we carry with us the only hope for any of it. The love of Christ is the only answer to our broken world and we keep walking right past what God keeps inviting us into. 2 Corinthians 5.17 speaks to this of who we are in Christ. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. How great is that? It's a new creation. You say, man, I don't don't know if I have the capacity to love. Outside of Christ, we don't. But in Christ, we're what? We're a new creation. It says the old has passed away. That person you were, that doesn't exist. God doesn't see that. The old has passed away, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and what happened? And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, such good news, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. The Bible calls us ambassadors entrusted with the message of reconciliation, yet we keep wanting to huddle up with each other and learn more and more about the gospel only to keep exchanging that knowledge with people that already know about it. Any gospel that terminates on you is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not another resource to be hoarded. It is a message of hope to be heralded. Hear me, church. It is not another resource to be hoarded. It is a message of hope to be heralded. One of these, uh, the book Screwtape Letters is one of my favorite books. Maybe it's just because of the way I think. If, if you haven't read the Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis wrote it. And it's a conversation between an older demon and a younger demon. And so what we get in that, that interaction is kind of what is the enemy's scheme of how he's trying to neutralize or destroy the church and Christians. And there's one paragraph that I keep coming back to. And if there's, if there's a paragraph that I read that provokes me to pray more for our church and our context, I think this is it. Uh, When I read this, I think about a church like ours, a church family like ours, a people like us, Christians like us in our context, and I read this, and it really scares me. But I want to read it. I I do want it to be sobering to us. It says this. This is the older demon speaking to the younger demon. He said, as long as a man does not convert it into action, it does not matter how much he thinks about this new repentance. Wallow in it. Write a book about it. That is often an excellent way of sterilizing the seeds which the Heavenly Father plants in a human soul. Do anything but act. No amount of piety in his imagination and affections will harm the cause of evil if it is kept out of his will. The more often he feels without acting, the less he will ever be able to act. And in the long run, the less he will be able to feel. Man, that's frightening. Right now, while we sit here, thousands of of cars will drive by this building filled with people in desperate need of this message. Lives marred by sin and brokenness, grasping at anything the world has to offer to satisfy them like a thirsty man drinking sand in the desert. And when we leave leave this building, hundreds of you will flood neighborhoods and will encounter numbity situations in your everyday life. We do every day. We encounter people who are in desperate need, and according to what we believe, we have the only answer they're looking for, and according to what we believe, we should be eager to share that hope. But what do we keep doing? We keep walking. Everything comes back to the heart. That's the point of this parable. It wasn't to highlight the needy. It was to expose a heart. Eugene Peterson said this way, to follow Jesus implies that we enter into a way of life that is given character and shape and direction by the one who calls us. To follow Jesus means picking up rhythms and ways of doing that are often unsaid but always derivative from Jesus, formed by the influence of Jesus To follow Jesus means that we can't separate what Jesus is saying from what Jesus is doing and the way he is doing it. To follow Jesus is as much, or maybe even more, about feet as it is about ears and eyes. And this is in my notes, and I'll probably get an email for this one. But I think about how they describe the early church in Acts. And they didn't call them the people with the words, they called them the people of the way. There was something about the way they lived their lives that was drawing the attention. The priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, which one are we gonna be? God keeps inviting us into a life of eternal impact. And I promise you, obedience is usually more simple than it is profound. There was a whole point in the testimony at the beginning. Obedience is usually more simple than it is profound. And what we actually do is evidence of whether or not our hearts have been informed or transformed. And this month of October is dedicated to prayer. And what we're going to be doing tonight out at Doubletree Ranch, 5 o'clock. By the way, the weather's going to be amazing. I walked out this morning. It was 50 degrees. It was like the Lord just took whatever excuse we have in Texas for not gathering outdoors. And he just said, let me just push that aside for you a minute. Let me push that aside and give you a moment in heaven. Outside, it's going to be beautiful weather. We're going to worship and celebrate together. I don't know if you need that. I need that. I would love to get out in beautiful uh, weather and worship God with my, fam- with my church family. We're gonna do that, and we're gonna pray together. We're gonna celebrate, there's gonna be more testimonies. And our hope is to really kick off this month together. And really my, my sincere hope uh, is that this month would be a turning point in our journey with Christ, where we take a step in obedience when our love for God overflows into our love for our neighbor. So here's your homework, here's your challenge. One simple act of obedience that has profound opportunity attached. I want you to say to somebody in your life this next week, and this can be, the waiter and waitress is an easy one, because even if they tell you no, or they switch you to another person's table because they think you're weird, you're just going to get another waiter or waitress. They have to come back. So that's a great one. Uh, but it can be somebody at the store, like Karen shared. It can be somebody at the soccer field. It can be uh, it can be one of your family members. It can be somebody at school and a kid's pickup line, whatever it is. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask one simple question. I want you to say, hey, my name is, and search your name, I'm a follower of Jesus and I believe God answers prayer. How can I pray for you? That's it. In fact, we gave you some cards on the way in and that's for our month of prayer in October. And in fact, I texted the elders uh, this yesterday and I said, man, reading this text all week, I just feel like I've been rebuked every time I've studied my notes, that I've grown so complacent in some of these areas. So I committed to that group of men. I said, hey, I'm taking all these cards and I'm gonna use all of them this next month and I wanna encourage you guys to do the same with me. So I just wanna encourage you, you have got a stack of these cards, and it just says, prayed for you today, and then it has a box. And that box is not meant to remain empty, it's meant for you to write something in it. And maybe you write a scripture, maybe you write a word of encouragement, or maybe you just write your name and your phone number, whatever it is. Uh, and you can leave this with your neighbor, you can, better yet, go talk to your neighbor. And what we mean by neighbor are the people in need that are all around you. So it could be your actual physical neighbor, it could just be who God puts in your path. But we just wanna challenge you as a church to step out and do this. Last week when I was sitting with Katie and Karen and Emma, we were at a restaurant, and a waitress came over, and we asked that question. We said, hey, our God answers prayer. How can we pray for you? And she said we were the fourth person to ask her that week, which is awesome. That's a dream. I want that to happen every restaurant I go in Flower Mountain, Louisville, Village area, that every time I ask a waiter, they're like, are you kidding me? Are you guys all, what's happening? We keep getting asked this. Please, 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 in abundance, because this is why it's happened. She had been the fourth, we were the fourth person that asked her. And then she said this. She said, I don't want to ask again because I don't want to annoy God. And she was so hesitant. I don't want to ask again. I don't want to annoy him. And we got to share with her the tremendous good news about a loving father who delights to hear from her. And she said this, this is her response. Really, I can keep asking him and that's not frustrating to him? Really, you can keep asking him and that is not frustrating to him. One simple step, one question, one act of obedience and we found ourselves smack dab in the middle of a kingdom moment. Yesterday, I'm in an Uber uh, driving to pick up my car. 73-year-old Uber driver in front of me. We strike up a conversation, maybe three minutes in, and he's sharing the gospel with me. And I haven't told him a pastor nothing. I'm kind of holding that card in the back. I'm seeing how far he goes, and if he does a good job, he nails it, shares the gospel with me, loves on me. And we're about to get there. I literally have my iPad sitting here. I'm going to finish the sermon. Like I'm getting my truck, coming up to church, finish the sermon. And so he's dropping me off, and I said, hey, I just wanna encourage you. I'm a pastor, uh, and the Lord sent you into my life today because I needed to be provoked and encouraged by your faithfulness. How many, does that, raise your hand if that's happened to you in the last month. Somebody's just shared the gospel with you. Not many, not many, but it was so profound. And I was a believer, but I needed to hear that. And I asked him, I said, man, how many, do you do this often? He goes, oh man, the despair that's sitting in that back seat, he he said, I can't help but not to. He said, I can't help but not to. The stories I hear back there, I know what they need. And I was like, are you, you, literally, the Lord just sent you for this message right now. I'm gonna talk about this. Thank you. My heart needed this. And it fired me up. I said, man, that's what we need to be about. Because you're not just a group of suburban Christians. You are a group of profound world changers. You hear that? You are not a group of sleepy suburban Christians. You are a group of profound world changers. And I promise you, step out there and test it. Step out there and test it. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. You aim at earth and you'll get neither. And here's what I think, church, in closing. I think these cards, They're just one simple step of obedience to take your life's aim at heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. God, thank you where it pushes on us. Spirit of God, I just pray where there's resistance in us, where there's fear in us, where there's sadness, uh, even where there's excitement. God, we, we want to be provoked to step into all of the beautiful spaces that you are consistently inviting us in. Pray for each one of these people here that next week they find themselves smack dab in the middle of a kingdom moment because they just prayed for that 15 seconds of courage to stay yes and step into what you're inviting them to. And God, we ask for fruit. We continue to ask, God, would you raise up gifts and fruit in the life of this church that even have us rethinking our ministry philosophy because you're moving in such profound ways. That's, That's what our desire is. We wanna see your movement happen here in profound ways beyond what we can imagine. We ask that you would help us for the exaltation of your name because you are worthy. You're worthy. You're worthy of the praise of every man, woman, child in the world. You're the king. We want to be about seeing you get the praise that you are due. That's what you'd help us in Christ's name for his sake. Amen.